this is from Acts chapter 6, and um, starting together at verse 1. This is God's word. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to... uh, We will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's God's words. It is great to have you here. If this is your first time and one of our returning visitors, uh, it's brilliant to have you. Uh, You're very welcome. If you're one of our regulars, it's great to have you too. Uh, My name's David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, the pastor here at Foundation Church. And uh, we're going through this series in the book of Acts uh, in the New Testament, uh, talking about the history and uh, uh, all the, I suppose, the scrapes of the early church and uh, the way that God caused great growth and great blessing uh, to come upon them in the early days. And the idea is that, that as we look at that, it will stir our faith uh, for what God can do. Because it's the same God who did those things back in the early days in the book of Acts. It's the same God who is with us now by his Holy Spirit. And we saw last week, uh, we were looking at this um, uh, I suppose two opposing uh, groups of people, community makers, those who were adding and, uh, you know, with generosity and, uh, and service, were, were adding to the community, were building it up. And there were those who were uh, breaking it down as well. And we saw that last week. And we saw that there was, a, um, I suppose, uh, three ways that uh, the church, a church, can be um, under threat. We saw that last week, um, and do you remember we were quoting from John Stott last week, if, if you're those of you who, are, who were here, you remember this. There are three ways that the, I suppose the enemy of the church can try to, try to attack and try to threat the church. Uh, number one was through persecution. Number two is through subversion, you know, getting in and sort of messing things up from the inside. And number three was distraction. And, and, and the point is that throughout church history, it's one of those three that will try to minimize and reduce and threaten the church. And, um, and so today, we will see, I suppose, the third of those uh, ways that the church can be threatened, and that's through distraction. And, and the idea is that once we are, as a church, once we are aware of the threat that could potentially be posed towards us, um, then, then we know how to detect it, then we know how to prevent it, and when we see it, we can, we can nip it in the bud. There's something that we can do about that. So that's where we're going today. Um, <clears throat> so what we'll see this morning... Number one is the problem, the solution, and the results. Okay? The problem with distraction, the solution to distraction, and the result of being free from distraction. And hopefully uh, we'll, 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 uh, those things will become clear as we go through. What is the problem, first of all, that, that, that this scripture that we've read today is presenting us with? Um, well, we see that in verse, uh, verse 1. <clears throat> um, it says, In those days, in, in Acts 6, verse 1, uh, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose 
against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What's going on? Um, in the early church, there were, you know, uh, the, the, the first believers were from, uh, from a Jewish background. Um, but within that um, broad group of people, um, you had those who were Greek-speaking. That was the sort of dominant cultural sort of force, I suppose, of the day. And so they would, they would have spoken in Greek. They would be influenced by Greek culture and Greek style and all the rest of it. So you had those within the church. Um, but then also you've got those who were um, uh, Hebrew-speaking. Um, Hebrew being the original language, I suppose, of the people of Israel. And you had those two groups um, within the early church getting on quite well, but we're presented with this problem here. And it seems to be there is a conflict or a tension between these two sort of cultural groups, maybe these two ethnic groups within the church. Um, and the, and the, the problem was that one of them was being uh, overlooked uh, when it came to distributing uh, food and help for the widows, you know, for the poor, for the, for the vulnerable among them. And, and one side was saying, they're getting more than us. The other side was saying, no, that's absolutely rubbish. It's absolutely fair. There's no problem here at all. And so this conflict, <coughs> pardon me, began. There was this tension within, um, within the church. What, what, was it real? Was it, or is it actual? Or was it felt? We don't know what the actual specifics were. But there was a threat to the church right there. And the threat was that if it carried on through, it could divide the church between sort of cultural or even ethnic lines. If it went very badly, if it was handled badly, there would be a split in the church and you would get the, the, the sort of the Greek church on one side and you would get the Hebrew church on the other and, and uh, that would be it. If it worked well, if the apostles handled this problem well, well, it could demonstrate this beautiful unity uh, within the church. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're from this community or that community, from this background or that background. God, by his son Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, will bring people from diverse backgrounds together. So they had to be careful with how they handled this problem, this threat to the community. Why did this arise? <clears throat> Why did this problem arise? Well, it seems to be in verse 2. Okay, we've got the, these two sort of groups, I suppose, um, feeling neglected and hard done by. In verse 2, we see <coughs> that the apostles were trying to do everything. In the early church, they've known the blessing of God, they've known this great growth as the good news of Jesus has been proclaimed and they've talked about him and, and, and the witnesses to his resurrection and to his ascension and the Holy Spirit came and amazing things. And the church, it says, we've been seeing this over the last few weeks, grew rapidly. It was amazing. It was like fire. And so I suspect that the apostles, there's 12 of them, were sort of grappling with all the things that were going on. They were teaching. Uh, they were meeting with people. They were attending temple, it says. They were doing miracles. And they were obviously uh, making sure that the poor and the vulnerable were cared for <clears throat> within the church. But it seems to be that in order to uh, keep on top of everything, the apostles have had to be compromising on preaching the words. They couldn't do that as much as they needed to, as they should, because they were busy doing lots of other things as well. As it says here, uh, waiting on tables, serving tables in verse 2. Um, so that's why this thing um, appeared. There seemed to be this bottleneck. Uh, the apostles, in some ways, were sidetracked. They were un unable, it says, to be devoted to uh, prayer and preaching of the word, because they had so many other things to do as well. And they were kind of forming a bit of a bottleneck to the church growing 
and being well cared for. It seems that the apostles, um, as far as we can tell in this section, had reached their capacity and they were spinning multiple plates um, in the church, doing their absolute best, running around as fast as they could, but it wasn't fast enough. And so we're presented with this problem, this community at risk. There is a certain group within the church that aren't being well served because the apostles are doing their best and they're at capacity. In fact, we could say probably that the early church at this stage were sort of suffering in two ways. They were deprived of the life-giving word and prayer ministry of the apostles, but they were also being deprived um, of this sort of uh, handling of the material needs of the poor. It was kind of a lose-lose situation. So we're presented with this sort of climactic problem in the early church. And, and it's a problem because, as we've been seeing here, they've been increasing in number. Right? If there was maybe just a, a few dozen or a hundred or so people, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. They had 12 leaders, it would have been going fine. But by this time, with the, the numbers of the, that particular church were up at around 5,000, if not more. There's loads of people, loads of needs, um, loads of opportunities to teach and um, apply the good news of Jesus. So it was, it was a problem. <clears throat> and we saw the, the, the last week um, what the practice was, was that uh, those who had any resources at all, a field or a, a bit of cattle or whatever, they were very glad to sell those things and lay the resources at the apostles' feet to say, distribute this to anyone as you see fit, anyone who has need in your community. So, so, so the apostles were sort of like the, the go-to, I suppose, for this um, uh, ministry, for, for, for helping the poor. And it worked, and it had been working up until this moment when it got too much. The apostles were doing their apostolic ministry, we can say, of prayer and the word, exercising their authority. They were busy on mission, building a healthy church, but they were also doing other stuff. They were doing administration. Um, they were doing benevolence ministries. They were checking the boxes and they had the Excel spreadsheets. They were doing their best to try and use. You can see the problem, can't you? Just to be clear, serving tables, as it's called here, serving the poor, serving the needs is good. It is right that the church should do that. But also serving the word of God is also good and right, and the proclamation of the good news. Both of those things are needed for the church to be healthy and for the people to be blessed and, and, and sustained. They are needed for a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. The problem is that the apostolic calling was the ministry of the word and prayer. It's not that serving uh, the poor was beneath these 12 apostles. They'd been doing a good job up until now. But the problem was that it wasn't their primary calling. It wasn't of primary importance for those 12 apostles who were called and equipped and uh, released by the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, we could say that they weren't being as apostolic as they should have been because they were doing other important but not essential things for them. So you can see the distraction, can't you? You can see the threat against the church here. They could have sort of torn things apart. You can see how the church is suffering at this stage in Acts chapter 6, or potentially, anyway. I have friends who lead large churches, 
And uh, <clears throat> I often hear them sharing about the problems of running a large church, a large organization, uh, hundreds or if not thousands of people. Um, they talk about the organizational challenges. They talk about the human resources, we call it, the personnel. They talk about the staff. And we think to ourselves, oh, that's not really a problem. That's a nice problem to have, isn't it? They've got these multi you know, million pound budgets, and uh, we, we don't have, we have a multi-pound budget here at Foundation Church, certainly not anywhere near that. And we think to themselves, oh dear, you know, but for them it is, it is, it is tough, it is a headache. Um, it comes with the territory, and they very much risk this phenomenon that we're talking about, being distracted by these things, and the word of God is neglected, and the health of the church suffers as a result. But it's not just um, a large church problem either. Um, to be very, very specific, here at Foundation Church, we're, we're, um, I suppose we could describe ourselves as a, a church plant or a, a small but growing church. And I think for those of us who are serving and, and form some form of leadership here in the church, we feel the same distraction too, the same sort of tension. There are so many things that, that we should be doing and can be doing and want to be doing. And so many things are unnecessary for us to do and for the church to, 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 to do. But the problem is that there are many good things that can be done, but they can neglect or cause us to neglect that which is most important, ministry of the word and prayer. And I think even more personally, I struggle with this tension myself as a, what, what could be described as a bivocational church planter or pastor. Bivocational simply means that I have two jobs, uh, two vocations. One is serving the local church, the other one is uh, working in the hospital um, and uh, brings in the, uh, the, it's the chief source of my income as a, as a doctor. So I have that going on. And, and uh, as a planter or pastor, I'm not even sure what I describe myself as. Depends, I suppose, on who I'm talking to. Uh, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with these terms, a church planter um, is really somebody who establishes a new church from scratch. Uh, somebody who maybe sows the seeds of the gospel, who gathers people around to say, hey, isn't the gospel amazing? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Shall we not commit together to base our lives on what he's done and what he might want to do. Let us, let us consider, uh, by God's grace, starting a new church in a new area to serve with fresh energy and enthusiasm. That's what a church plant is all about. Often uh, skills required are sort of entrepreneurial, uh, a startup, if you like, uh, but they're time-bound because once a church is established and puts down its roots, it sort of transitions, I suppose, from a church plant um, to, a, to an established church. And I think that's where we are ourselves here at Foundation Church. As a church planter, a church pastor, I suppose, is somebody who um, is there, is called by God <clears throat> and anointed and equipped to shepherd the flock, shepherd the people, to care for them, to tend them, to feed them with God's word, uh, to press that into their lives, ministering to them in life-giving ways praying for them. The primary role of a pastor, similar to what we're reading here, is prayer and ministry of the word. Why am I saying all these things to you this morning? Well, as a church planter, I've been required to do administration. I've been required to learn <clears throat> stuff about banking I had no idea about, or charity law. 
I can do organization. I can do all that stuff. It's important. It is necessary to set things in motion for a healthy start, for a healthy foundation of a new church. But it is a seasonal thing. And eventually, these things are handed off to people who are much better than I am at doing these things. God is good. He is gracious. Um, but they need to be done by people who are better equipped and gifted than I am, or at least shared with them. Otherwise, as a church, we will get into this situation we see here in Acts chapter 6. Spread too thin, neglecting the primary calling, neglecting groups within the church, be it the Greek-speaking or the Hebrew-speaking, the singles, the families, the elderly, the, the unsaved, the outsiders. These are all potentially groups that can be neglected if we are spread too thin. So this text here this morning, uh, I'm preaching to myself, and you're just, uh, I suppose, listening to me talk to myself this morning. Um, And what we're seeing here, by God's grace, is seasonal. Yet as a church, we must be thoughtful. We must be ready to anticipate the needs and respond in faith. Otherwise, as we're seeing here, there will be a bottleneck, and the unity of the church and the vitality of the church can come under threat. This is the problem. But what is the solution? Praise God. The Bible doesn't just give us problems to uh, um, get anxious about. It wonderfully gives us uh, the way to deal with these things as well. Um, God is good. He is full of grace. Thank you, Lord. Uh, So what is the solution? Well, the church have rightly identified the core issue, and they have summoned for help. So what do they do? They mobilize uh, another bunch of leaders. They, 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 it says in, in verse 3, um, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles are not saying uh, the, the poor, the widows, they, they, don't, they don't matter, we'll just get on with preaching our sermons. They're saying they absolutely do matter. They matter so much that we must take uh, radical action in order to make sure they are served well. It's just that we can't do it. <clears throat> So they chose these men of character and of leadership ability, uh, of excellent reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. These are the characteristics for those who are going to help the church go to the next level. Um, What does it mean to be full of the spirit? Uh, To be full of the spirit means to um, clearly bear the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and often in extraordinary ways. To be full of the Spirit. All believers in Jesus, by the way, possess the Holy Spirit by definition. You could not be a believer in Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? uh, a dead body cannot make itself live. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you when you come to faith in Jesus. That is yours. The Holy Spirit is in every believer in Jesus. But as we've been seeing recently, and we saw last week, and we'll see next week when um, uh, Phil comes to preach. He's from another church. He's coming to preach. Um, we see... Believers in Jesus receiving fresh and new fillings of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> Peter spoke to the Jewish council that we saw a few weeks ago. And he said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, at the end of chapter 4, when they had prayed, the church, the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So we get this sort of picture building up of those who already have the Holy Spirit in them, but also receive um, <coughs> an additional filling or empowerment, so to speak, the remarkable presence of the Holy Spirit. And it seems to be that it was on these seven individuals. So it wasn't like they had to scurry around and think, oh goodness, who's filled with the Holy Spirit in our church? The point is, you know, they were easily identified. 
because they were so um, filled with the Spirit, so fruitful in their gospel work, perhaps their miraculous signs, perhaps their sort of almost supernatural generosity and care for the poor. It was, it was, it was fairly obvious, I would say. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're also to be filled with wisdom, it says there. Um, and this is so important, wasn't it, to deal with these sensitivities that were going on in the church. Uh, you can't just sort of bash on in there and make, make judgments straight away. You have to be wise. You have to be sensitive to the needs, to the sort of uh, cultural or ethnic sort of uh, needs and, and how people understand things. Um, you know, if they go in the wrong way, if they go in like a bull in the china shop, the whole thing would blow up and there would be a huge church split and the whole thing would probably fizzle out at that stage. But that's not what they had. They were full of wisdom. And so it says in verse 2, um, they, they gathered the full number of the disciples. The entire church was gathered together in verse 2. In verse 5, it tells us the whole gathering were there. And from within that group, <coughs> seven men were identified and brought before the apostles. Um, it didn't make them spirit-filled and wise by being identified. They were identified because they were spirit-filled and wise. Okay? So the people were just simply affirming what they could already see. They were just naming publicly what everybody already knew and probably experienced themselves. They experienced something of their ministry already. So what is the solution to this threat, this distraction of the church? The solution is specialization. It's, uh, or in other words, division of labor. Uh, bringing in gifted, called, specialized individuals who could ensure the needs of the poor were looked after. And so it says there in verse 6, um, these were set before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, this was not imparting anything new to them necessarily, it was simply a way of the apostles giving their blessing, recognizing them publicly, um, and just affirming them in, in the eyes of the church. And the idea is, therefore, the apostles would be free to obey their calling, which is ministry and service of the word and prayer, and these new leaders were free to obey their calling, which is ministry and service of tables. And, and it's a win-win situation. We went from a lose-lose situation to a win-win situation. And I think us, um, as a church, as we grow, that, of course there's going to be increased needs, isn't there? Increased challenges, increased ways that we can serve and flesh out the good news of Jesus to one another, how we can love each other well, love each other practically, and so therefore the need for specialization will increasingly be required. And we have in our constitution, um, which is a, a document that you can find online, and there are paper copies knocking around as well, it describes the makeup, <coughs> the framework of our church, I suppose. And within that, we have sort of hardwired the role of elder, um, otherwise known as pastor, the sort of spiritual leader of the church, and also the role of what's typically called deacon, servant, you know, um, I suppose, minister or something like that. And these two roles are there so that we can ensure going forward that elders uh, pastor and shepherd the flock of God um, well and deacons or, or, or sort of ministry leaders look after the practical needs that come up within the church. And that's there. You can, you can Google it. Foundation Church Belfast Constitution. If you're really bored, you can go and have a look at that. It's very exciting. I'm excited by it, but very few people are excited by it. At Foundation Church Belfast, in case you're wondering how we are structured, um, we currently have one elder. You're looking at him. Um, but this is an anomaly. The Bible teaches clearly that uh, eldership should be a team game. 
and there should be a team of elders. It works for now just to have me, but we are in the process. There's a training program going on where we have, are identifying and equipping uh, those who are called and prepared by the Holy Spirit to serve in this capacity. More on that going forward. Please pray for us. Um, if I may be more specific, the best way, I think, for me to serve you, the church, is through, as we see here, ministry of the word and prayer. There, there are, I can do Excel spreadsheets. If you need help with Excel, I'm now a, uh, an expert on that. But that is not my primary gifting. It's not my primary calling. It's not what God called me to do, to be an expert on Excel. He's called me to preach the word and pray. And that's what I need to be doing. By the way, preaching the word or word ministry is not just preparing and preaching sermons for a Sunday morning. That's an important part of it. But as we see the apostles uh, throughout the book of Acts, for them, teaching the, is teaching, uh, bringing the word of God is teaching. It is exhorting, it is encouraging, it is counseling, it is one-to-one, it is discipling, it is writing, it is sending letters, or we, today we call it blogging, uh, that sort of thing. Um, in big meetings and in homes, That's what ministry of the word must look like. But it's ministry of the word and prayer. John Stott, famous uh, writer and uh, church leader of the previous century, said that ministry of the word without prayer that the spirit will water the seed is unlikely to bear fruit. Ministry of the word is just as important as prayer. And prayer is just as important as ministry of the word. Sow the seed and pray that the Lord will water it. In Jesus' name. And the more seed that is sown, the more prayer that is prayed, by God's grace, there will be more growth. Amen? More strength, more depth. Um, And I am itching to provide more than one sermon a week. But I am constrained by matters of energy and uh, Excel spreadsheets and uh, all all the other bits and pieces. But as we progress as a church, we will be bringing in and affirming additional elders, ministers, directors, whatever, uh, leaders to share the load in order to faithfully make sure that we as a church are speaking the word of God powerfully in the spirit of God to the glory of God. That's what all this is about. We are a community on mission and we're on a community on mission for Jesus. So that's the solution. More leaders called and equipped by God. What is the result? Thirdly and finally, what is the result? How do you know this is working out? Well, look in verse 7. We're not left wondering how it went. It says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Disaster has been averted. Right? This was a bit of a climactic moment. This was a huge challenge for the church in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. And at the end of this little section here, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. Even some Jewish priests were converted to the faith. The problem to the community was recognized, it was anticipated, it was addressed. There were no race rows, there were no church splits, there was no division The power of the gospel was beautifully displayed. Widows were served and blessed by the church. The apostles were freed to be devoted to ministry of the word and prayer. 
These servant leaders that we see here were elected and empowered to serve. The people followed gladly. The word increased. The church grew. And as a result, many more people outside the church heard the message and believed in Jesus when the apostles were free to minister the word and prayer. We as a church are anticipating and experiencing, actually, growth And we're also hoping and praying and anticipating for a new release of power of the gospel among us. As more and more people hear the good news of Jesus and are transformed by his saving power. That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. That's what we have faith for. That's what he is giving us boldness to to go out with. And we're expecting more as we step ahead in faith in Jesus' name. So as a church, we must be ready. We must be ready for this type of thing. We must be prepared. And if we learn this lesson this morning from God's words, we can expect to continue to increase. The the empty chairs around you will be filled. The spare chairs at the back will have to be brought out. Um, and, And yet this is the beginning. This is the beginning of what God is doing. Last Sunday was our seventh birthday as a church. Happy birthday to us. We didn't make too much notice of it. Mainly for, well, for various reasons. We've got other things to celebrate, like Jesus. Um, But those seven years have been a roller coaster ride. They have been hard work. Fruitful, yes, encouraging at times. Hard work. For those of you who don't know our story, uh, we began in 2017 meeting uh, publicly in the Chinese Welfare Association um, building, which is on the Ormo Road, just on the bridge. We met there for about two years, Um, after which time we were only able to meet in the evening because they had a Chinese sort of dance class in the morning, so we couldn't go in. Uh, Otherwise, that that would be odd, wouldn't it, if we'd have gone in the morning? Anyway... We had to meet in the evenings. Then because of young families and babies coming along, um, evenings were no longer uh, appropriate or helpful. So we then moved to Ashfield Girls School on the Hollywood Road, and we were there again for about two years using their drama studio. Who in this church uh, was with Foundation Church at that time when we were in Ashfield? Me. Okay. So no one else. Me and Marion and Eliza, the three of us. So that goes to show uh, what's uh, the, the turnover. Anyway, uh, Asheville Girls High School, then the COVID pandemic came along. We were no longer able to meet in that place or at all. Um, after things opened up, we then eventually uh, went to the Belmont Tower in, uh, on the Belmont Road. Who was in the Belmont Tower era? There you go, a few more. Excellent. Yeah, you came once. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. <coughs> Sorry. Um, Great. And then, um, by God's grace, this particular building here um, became uh, known to us and available, and um, we have uh, spent some time and had some fun renovating the place, and then we started public services here in September in the Clearwater Estates, and we absolutely absolutely love it here. We're so thankful. And over that time, we have added members, you know, from the beginning of our church. We have baptized people. We have seen new visitors come and join us. Um, We have seen marriages saved from oblivion, to become healthy and strong. We have put on outreach events like a concert where we had over 230 people in attendance. Can you imagine that for a church of our size? That's what we did by God's grace. 
Um, we have solidified relationships. We have grown deeper in love and desire for Jesus. In short, God has planted a church that we call Foundation Church Belfast. And right now, as I stand here before you, we are in the strongest position that we've ever been. Praise God. Amen. But as we settle into our new uh, facility here, in a slightly different location, as we lift up our heads to start looking a bit more further into the future and start dreaming a little more again, we see new opportunities for more growth, for more gospel influence, uh, for more of God's coming kingdom in this season. And we've had a number of prophetic words that God reveals his heart and mind to specific individuals that have affirmed this, that there is much more to come. Some have come from within our church. Some have come from people outside of our church who know nothing about us. And yet these things are coming together at the same time. We are ready. We are hungry. We are expectant. We are trusting. And with this there will come new needs that we have as a church for service. Whether it's in children's ministry, <coughs> whether it's in administration, <coughs> administration needs, whether it's in evangelistic opportunities, whether it's needs for events to be coordinated, processes to be implemented, equipment to be purchased and maintained, souls to be cared for, a vision to strive towards. Many, many opportunities. The point that I want to really end on is that this is bigger than any one person. I certainly can't do all this. I can't do it all. Two or three key people in our church can't do it all. This requires a whole team approach. Unless we become a bottleneck like we see in Acts chapter 6. And everyone all in together on mission approach. Because we are, as we say here, a community on mission we're going somewhere. We have a task that Jesus has given us. So my question to you, as you sit here and listen to all this, is what is in your hand? What, is, what has God given you? How, how has he equipped you to serve the local church? To serve him through the local church? How can you strengthen the church? Whether you are on the front end, an up front sort of form of leadership, or whether you play a supporting role in the, in the, uh, in the, in the background, we're all different. He equips us and calls us differently. What has God given you to do? Not necessarily a free for all, you know, just, just crack on, have a go. Um, but identifying our own strengths in order that, as we see in verse 7, we may release you so that the word of God continues to increase and the number of disciples greatly multiplies in Belfast and beyond. Is it a challenge for us as a church and you as an individual to step up and get involved? Yes, it is. Will it make you feel a bit uncomfortable with your new role, your new commitments, serving alongside new people? Yes, it probably will, for a bit anyway. Will it be a sacrifice that I'm asking you to make? Yes, I am. Will it require energy and time? Yes, it will. Will it require and will it provide rather growth in you and growth in the church and knowing the Lord's favour and his blessing on you as you serve? Yes, it will. He is worth it. He is worth it.
my point here, as we've already said in verse 7, is that as the word increases and disciples are multiplied in the city here in Clarewood and beyond, that's what we want. And I, for one, as I stand before you this morning, want with all my heart to devote myself to this ministry of the word and prayer to ensure that this happens. Here are three ways that you can respond <coughs> as we come to a close. Uh, three, I hope these are sort of fairly practical steps that you can take. Um, the first one, if you're not already, I, I encourage you and urge you to become a member at Foundation Church. Um, that, that is somebody who visibly identifies with, Claire, you know, with, with Foundation Church Belfast. Somebody who understands the gospel of Jesus, that gives sort of credible evidence that has made a difference in their lives, somebody who's baptized, somebody who says, I'm in, I'm putting my roots down, this is my family, these are my people. If that's you, then that's what membership is all about. It's a way to say, this is my tribe. There is actually a form that I've put out at the back on the white table here that sticks up, and also on the communion table, uh, the wooden table, on either side of the door there. Um, if you are interested in learning more about membership, not necessarily committing to it, but learning more about it. Please do, uh, as a form there, leave your name and a contact, either your email or a phone number or something. And I would love to have a conversation with you, give you some information about that and about how you can really um, put your roots down here at Foundation. After you've done that, um, the second step, either if you're already a member or you're thinking of it, is to discern your gifts in community. Number two, discern your gifts in community. You may know what your giftings are, how God has uniquely gifted you and given you opportunity to serve him in the church. Um, maybe you can recognize that in, in other people around you. Um, but part of becoming a member in the church is, is, is for us to ask, how has God gifted you to serve the local church? It's our job to help you dis discern that and then to plumb you in to the way that you can um, uh, serve him out of strength and out of a place of um, gifting. Um, and so we'll help you to identify that, we'll help you to test that, and we'll help you to affirm that um, as a church as well. So the second thing is discern your gifts in community as part of the membership uh, process. And thirdly then, and finally, when, you, when you've done those two things, is get deployed on mission in service to Jesus. You will start serving. We'll, we'll, we'll start small. <clears throat> uh, you can grow uh, as you serve. Uh, we can offer coaching and oversight. Um, plenty of areas that you can serve in the local church. Not necessarily a job for life, um, but there's certainly plenty that can be done depending on uh, what, what you're able to do in your, your capacity and all, all that. Um, for some, this might be a natural gift that you have and a natural desire. For others of us, it's a learned thing. Um, I didn't desire to uh, become an expert on Excel, but I am now. I've learned it, and it's a way that I can at this stage serve the church. Um, so that's something for you too. By the way, if anyone is particularly gifted on Excel, please do come and speak to me at the end. I'm, as you can tell, uh, particularly interested in uh, sharing that responsibility. We want everybody in our church to serve Jesus as part of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. There's a place for you, uh, and we would love to have that conversation. Amen.